Happy Father's Day again to everybody. Um, my, this morning, my kids brought me my Father's Day presents, and my daughter, Hava, she's four years old now, uh, old enough to run the world. Come on, somebody. And so she brought me a little cutout of a carrot that she made and was very proud to give it to me. And so I think I remind her of vegetables. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> But vegetables are good, right? So I'm going to take that and frame it because that's what I got. I don't know what you got for Father's Day, but that's what I got this morning. But go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. Uh, we believe in taking notes here at Victory. And one day I will convince you of that fact. Uh, if you'd like the fill-in-the-blank version of it, you can pull up the Victory Church app. I uh, got all the verses and notes that we're going to have for this morning's message. Uh, I was studying for the weekend, thinking about Father's Day. And it's always a little tougher to preach on a holiday because it's got its own theme. It's got its own expectation, right? Christmas, Mother's Day. You kind of come into it expecting a certain thing. And so I started coming at it from the angle of what would it mean to be a godly father? What would that mean? Uh, what would it look like biblically? And then I got about halfway through and I figured, well, these points are really not just for fathers. It's for what would it mean to be a godly man? And then I got a little further in the message and you may guess where this is going, right? I was like, this is for all of us. That's what this is about. This is a life we can all lead. And so here's your Father's Day message. That's not really just for fathers. All right. Here's the, the message. I think I can get away with it on Father's Day um, more than, say, Mother's Day. I think on Father's Day, if you pulled the dads in the room what they want for Father's Day, they would not say a heartfelt message directed right at me. All right. They'd probably say, I want a nap this afternoon. Right. I want just some peace and quiet. I enjoy It's like my favorite place in the world to be sleeping on the couch when my family's going crazy around me. Anybody else? Like I just, I like that feeling. I like just hearing everybody else go nuts while I sleep. It's a good, uh, maybe that's not your place. All right. Maybe you have different, but that's just mine. But here's the message today where I kind of came at it from the theme of if we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, if we have people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, want to leave an impact on the world around us, but not just the world that we're living in right now, but if we want to leave a legacy after us, our children's children, and not just biological children, but those that we mentor, those that follow after, those who watch our example as we follow Christ. If we want to leave a legacy, what kind of life should we live? What does that look like? What kind of life should we exemplify? So number one, this is the first, if you're taking notes, jot it down with us. Number one, if we're going to leave a legacy, life that lives after us, we're going to have to stand with integrity. And integrity is kind of a lost art in culture today. It's kind of a, a word that doesn't get thrown around. And if it does, it kind of just gets made fun of. It's a lost art, but it's basically being the same in every environment. Integrity is being the same in every single environment. And it's when you give a promise and you give your word, it's following through on what you've said. It's being who you say to be who you project to be. Because oftentimes when we live our lives, oftentimes when we watch others, and maybe if you know two or three people in your life, you understand integrity is lost. Too many times we project to be one thing, but on the inside, we're not. We put up the face, we put up the facade, we have that front, but on the inside, we're not living with integrity. Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. See, there's so many people in our culture today that manage to keep up the front, for a little while. They manage to keep up what it looks like they're living, whatever it is. It looks like they're making good on their word. They're able to keep that up for a little while, but in the end, it destroys their life because they're not who they actually project to be. It's not who they are at their core. And so a person of integrity is the same person in every environment. And when they make a promise, they follow through on that promise. Proverbs 25 says, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. 
Someone who makes a promise. And all of us know promise breakers. All of us have broken promises. If we did a show of hands, which we won't. Keep your hands down, everybody. All of us have promises that we have broken. And so I thought we'd have a little fun today. And I thought we would go through some of the common promises that we make that we break, everybody. And so I'm just going to ask you at the outstart, don't poke anybody next to you. Just this is for ourselves, all right? These are promises that we make, common promises that we forget. Here's the first one. First one is, I'll call you... Tomorrow. Come on, somebody. How many of you have ever? That is code for I hope you never, never remember that I said that. I hope we never see each other for three or four more years. I'll call you. Some of you remembering right now you're supposed to call somebody. Here's the next one. I promise I won't tell anyone. Come on. This is the reason I am convinced a lot of people will not go to small groups. Come on, somebody. This is the reason right here. Because the problem is you will tell everybody that you trust. And the problem with that is the person who told you in confidence doesn't trust the people that you trust. And so you're like, I promise, I promise I won't tell. And you tell it, hey, promise you won't tell anybody. But Bill is going through a lot of stuff and I just need to tell. And they say, I promise I won't. It hurts. It's funny, but it hurts. I know everybody. It's, a, it's true. Next one on this one, the check is in the mail. Now, this is funny because nobody writes checks or uses the mail anymore. Come on. So it's. Well, this was a good lie back in the day. Anybody with accounts receivable, a business, right? You know this lie front and center. You probably heard it last week. You heard this coming and so you're just going to go and visit. It's quiet in here, everybody. Bunch of promise breakers. That's what I'm, that's what I'm feeling. Here's the next one. All of us have failed this one. I'm on my way right now, right now. I'm in the car, right? I'm on my way. I'm two minutes. All of us have that friend, right? You're thinking of them right now. Where they call you, they're like, I'm on my way. I'm two minutes away. I'm, I'm, I'm right there. And then you hear like the toilet flush in the background, right? You hear, and you're like, unless you installed a toilet in your car, you are still at home. Like you have not, we are leaving without you. All of us have that. You have left without them. Next one, all of us have said this one. I'll be home by 6 p.m. No, you won't. You have broken that every single, and it's tied to this next one that I have done many, many times unintentionally, right? I, we can play later. We can play. I promise, Hava, we can play later, which is code for I hope you forget about this conversation. I hope you I just we'll play later. And then the final one today, right? I'm starting my diet tomorrow. Tomorrow, always, because, right, you decide you're going to start the diet and then you come to church and we give you a cookie with 9000 calories in it. Come on, somebody. Tomorrow we'll start. But then tomorrow comes and it's not Wednesday. And so we'll start on Wednesday. We'll start. I promise it'll happen another time. It'll happen. We'll just erase that one. Get that one back off of there. We'll just get that. Now, most of these are trivial, but we go through life making promises that we don't keep. And buried in those, there are some that hit a little closer to home than others. But we go through life and we're supposed to be living with integrity, making promises, being people of our word. And we make these promises and we don't keep. We don't follow through and that lacks integrity. It lacks integrity. And sad reality, oftentimes, is we're able to keep the image. We're able to maintain it a lot longer at church or at our job, right, or out in the world. But then we give our worst and we fall the shortest with those at home. You want to see the first cracks of integrity? It happens at home. It happens with those that deserve the best of us. And oftentimes, we give them the worst. That's where you start to see. It's why David prayed in Psalms 101. He prayed, Lord, I long to live a blameless life, but God, I need your help. And then he lays out how he's going to do it. And the first thing he says is, I long to walk with integrity in my own home. Because too often times when we get angry, isn't it true? When we get stressed, when we get tired, when we get down, when we get overwhelmed by the world, we don't take it out on the world at large. We don't take it out on our pastors or on our small group leaders. We don't take it out on our job or our coworkers or our boss. Isn't it true? We take it out on the dog. We take it out on our kids. We take it out on the spouse. We give the worst of us to those who deserve the best of us. 
And so if we're going to be people of integrity, here's the best definition that I found. And it's that's those who know you the best respect you the most. It's quiet in this church this morning. I don't know what's the, what's the deal. I'll encourage you in a little bit. We got more points to come. But I want to start out with this one, that those who know you the best respect you the most. Integrity. And it begins at home. It begins in showing that the ones we love the most. And in every area of your life, you're the same person. And it's what I'm inspiring to do. I fall short. I can't tell you how many times I fall short of this. But I'm trying really, really hard, everybody. I think it's something we can aspire to. That I'm just trying as hard as I can to be the same person that I am on this stage, as I am when I play with my kids, as I am at Costco, as I am when I lead the staff. The same person in every environment walking with integrity. And I know we're going to fall short. I know we're going to mess up. But we can try really, really hard to aspire to that, that we're going to live with integrity. That we're going to be the same person in every environment. If we're going to live a life that lives past us, we have to walk with integrity. It's the good name that we have that impacts generations after us. The second one this morning, first we have integrity. Number two, jot it down. We need to live with humility. And humility, a whole lot, not a whole lot of that in our culture today. There's not a lot of integrity. There's even less humility. You want to be a person that leaves a legacy, you live with humility. And I think, in fact, you can watch our sports, uh, kind of the way sports have developed in our culture today to see how far humility has fallen out of the good graces of our culture. Because honestly, I think I've admitted to all of you publicly that I watch entirely too many sports and it's good for me. All right. That's just I, I understand. I'm dealing with it. You can write me letters and about that whenever you want to. But I watch entirely too many. But honestly, you can be just a casual fan and recognize in the last 15, 20 years, there's been a shift in how sports are played and how people enter the arena of sports because it's no longer about the team. And honestly, this has been always the case in the pros. But it's worked its way down all the way to like peewee football. You have to go a long way to find somebody who is in it just for the team. Who's in it just for the, the idea of the team being better. Because it's become now, how do I increase my own stardom? How do I make my own brand? How do I get my own shoe, right? How do I get, how do I get my own whatever it is? And it's become less about the team and more about the name on the back of the jersey. And so we come out with this idea, and even, I promise you can watch it all the way from like little league sports all the way up to the pros, that everything is about how can I be memorable? How can people remember my name? How, how can they remember my touchdown? How can they remember? How can I get on SportsCenter? Come on, somebody. How can, I, how can I make the play that they remember who I am? We forget all about the fact that somebody had to throw that block. Somebody had to set the screen. Somebody had to coach, call the play. Somebody had to raise you up and teach you how to do those things to be successful. That framework around us, we forget all of that in this quest for how can I be great? How, how can it be about me? And so we point to the name on the back instead of anything about the team. And it's one thing to have that in sports, but honestly, it's just a small picture of what it's done to culture at large, that it's all about how can I get mine? How can I make myself great? How can I be so centered about myself? And the Bible in Proverbs says arrogance will always bring your downfall, will always bring your downfall. And if you watch sports, you understand this is one of the most tale as old as time types of stories where the team that is so favored and so heavily favored as the thing and a coach's worst nightmare is to be so heavily favored that their players look past that game to the next week because they see that kind of cupcake game on the schedule and they look past it and then you have this game where the team that never should have been in it hangs around hangs around this David and Goliath story where they take out the team that should have won but for their arrogance and like I said, it's one thing in sports, but it's just a small picture. We see this in people's lives. You've ever seen someone who's grown so arrogant, so full of themselves? It always leads to downfall. Pride always comes before the fall. But the Bible talks about it. It says arrogance will always bring the downfall. But if you're humble, you'll be respected. 
We need to live lives that realize that none of us are successful on our own. None of us are successful. The reality is no matter what you do in life, if you find any way or any place of success, it's because you had a whole bunch of people around you putting up with your garbage. Come on, somebody. Lifting you up, encouraging you, running the race with you, lifting you. And we got to recognize that. A life of humility recognizes I didn't do all of this on my own. I had people around me that helped me. It's a life of humility in every area of life. A pastor once told me that if you step on the fingers of the people that hold your ladder of success, they might let go when you get to the top. Come on. And you find out you're not all that special. We got to learn to live lives that are humble and realize I didn't do it all on my own. It's not because of who God who blessed me and the people around me who uplift me, the people who ran life with me. That's the reason around us. Philippians chapter two, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. I love that first sentence, simple phrase. Don't be selfish. Because honestly, this is kind of like advice from the Bible that to how to live in our relationships. Because too many times for all of us, we deal with relationships trying to make ourselves at the center. We ask ourselves, how does it make me look and how does it make me feel? How can I benefit from this? We go into relationships too oftentimes thinking, how can I leverage this relationship in order to make myself better? Honestly, even as a pastor, it's hard to talk to some people. So just have casual conversations with people sometimes because they're so used to being used. They're so used to having conversations with leaders or with spiritual whoever that go into the conversation thinking, how can I use you to further my agenda? And if you've ever talked to somebody where they feel so hurt and broken, they can't even reach out and talk to anybody because everybody just approaches it. How does it make me look? How does it make me feel? How can I leverage this relationship for my benefit? How can I put myself at the center of it? And so many of our relationships are seen through the lens of selfishness and pride. Not living with integrity, not, certainly not embracing humility. But we think about these things. And so it, the word will tell you it doesn't matter who you undercut. It doesn't matter who you go behind. It doesn't matter how many backs you stab. You just got to get yours. You got to be successful. You got to make it to the top. And so we're selfish. And we try to keep this impression up for people. The Bible says don't do that. It says, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. And we talked about this last week a little bit. That being humble, thinking of others better than yourself, it doesn't mean you walk around thinking, I'm just so dumb and stupid. I'll never amount to anything. I'll never be able to do that. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not you think of yourself less. It's that you think of others more. That you elevate others in your life. It's not trying to just degrade yourself so much that you just be the dirty dog. It's elevating others as better than yourself. That you elevate. Verse 4, watch this. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others to look to others and lift them. Because I've learned this in life. You can either live your life lifting yourself or lifting others. And the second way is always better. You can either live and give all your attention to lifting yourself and making yourself great. Or in humility, you can lift others around you. And I promise you the second way is better. It starts with lifting and honoring, lifting those around us. Number three, if you're going to live a life that lives past you, Jonathan, have you taken notes? We're going to have to sow with generosity. If we live with integrity and we embrace humility, we're going to have to sow with generosity. First Timothy chapter 6, he's writing to Timothy and telling him, command those that you know, those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, Timothy, to do good. And listen to me, the people Timothy was talking to, I promise you, the people he's about to command to be rich in this present world, but be rich in good deeds instead, those people were a whole lot less blessed than we are. I don't know what your situation is, but I can assure you 
That first century Christian, I promise you that you are more blessed than they were. But he's commanding them, be rich in good deeds. Be rich. Don't be rich in this present world. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So they may take hold of life that is truly life. I thought about calling the message that this morning. Life that is truly life. You want to live a life outside of yourself. You want to leave a legacy. He's saying, don't think about how big a bank account I can accumulate. He's saying, don't be rich in this present world. Be rich in good deeds. Be rich and be generous in others. Looking for ways to be a blessing. The Bible says in Psalms 119 that they that share freely and give generously to those in need, their good deeds remembered forever. And they'll have influence and honor. A life that lives past us. A life that lives past us is not a bank account with a hundred zeros after it. A life that lives past us is not accumulating all of this stuff that honestly doesn't go with you anyways. A life and a legacy that lives past us is sowing generously into the lives around us. Because we make a living by what we get, but we make a legacy by what we give. We're called to live lives that not only impact the world around us, but that impact generations after us. That we would learn how to sow generously on every occasion. The Bible says, Proverbs 11, watch this. Give freely, become more wealthy. That is what is crazy about the kingdom of God. Because it sounds so backwards to what we actually think is wealth. And what we actually think is prosperous. And what we actually think should be. It says, give and you'll become more wealthy. Give and you'll become more blessed. Give, prosper. Because what are we called to do? We're called to sow generously into the people around us. It's backwards. The Bible says, if you're stingy, you'll lose everything anyways. But the world will tell you, you've got to get as many zeros after your bank account. You've got to get as many investments as possible. And then you can't give any of it away because that's just crazy. But no, God says it's more blessed to give than to receive. The Bible says those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And I'm not talking about you give a hundred bucks so God will somehow give you a million dollars. I'm saying Jesus said don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where it rots anyways. The reason it's more Blessed to give than to receive is not that somehow we would become a billionaire overnight. It's because we're storing up treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy, where thief can't break in and steal. It's about learning what life that is actually life is all about. So we're going to sow with generosity. Every opportunity we can have, we're going to sow into other people's lives. It's not about how much we can accumulate. It's about what we can give and how we can bless others. It's what we've been called to do. It's a firm foundation Paul wrote to Timothy about life that is really life. You want to live a life that outlives you. You want to leave a legacy. It's going to take integrity. It's going to take humility. And then finally, it's going to take generosity. Number four, we've got to serve with a sense of urgency. Because the time is short. And I don't know, you might get into the whole thing about maybe the world is ending. But I promise you, if it's not the end of the world, your life is short. And all of us have a time on our life that one day it will end. One day We'll stand before our maker. One day we give an account of what we did with the time that he gave us. And it's short. And honestly, for all of us, I don't know when it is, but I promise you it's shorter than we would like it to be. And we got to serve with a sense of urgency, knowing that lives hang in the balance, that eternity hangs in the balance. And so the people that we reach, we need to go with the urgency of the gospel. That every person, every opportunity we have to leave a legacy, every opportunity, the truth is we should be aware of the people in need around us. We should have our eyes up. Always looking at the harvest, always looking at people's needs, always looking to be a way that we can make a difference. This story in the book of Mark, and I added this last night, just I was reading over it for the Dream Team huddle uh, before service this morning, but I wanted it to be a part of the message too. Mark chapter 9, Jesus with his disciples, and they arrive at Capernaum and they settled into the house. And Jesus asked his disciples, hey, what was that you were talking about on the road here? 
Because the Bible talks to us, it says a lot of times Jesus would kind of get out in front and just be walking and the disciples would follow after him. And he kind of lead the way and then they'd arrive wherever it is they were going. And so Jesus gets there and he's like, I heard you arguing and I heard you talking. And so what was that you were talking about on the way here? And I love the Bible words that they didn't want to tell him. They didn't want to tell Jesus what they were arguing about. Because watch this, because they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. What a dumb argument. Come on, somebody. What a... What a dumb thing. You're, you're following Jesus, the Savior of the world, the, the Son of God. You're following him walking in front of you, and you're arguing about which one of you might be the greatest. Like, did you see the way I healed that person? Like, that was amazing. Did you see that? I'm just, you guys are lucky to have me as part of the crew. Like, I just, no, no, no. I opened that person's eyes, and I went and got the bread, and I did that. And they're arguing. I don't know how they, how they made their case for why they're the best. But somehow they've gotten to this argument of who is the greatest among them. Now, Jesus, to his credit, doesn't just, because I would have just, I'd have just fired them all, right? I'd just gone, gone ahead and hired myself a whole new staff. That would have just been a great time to do. But Jesus calls them over to himself. He calls the 12, and he looks at them, sat down, called them over, and said, whoever wants to be first. He's like, you want to, I know what you're arguing about. Let me settle it once and for all. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everybody else. So forget this argument, you know, who's the greatest, who's the sub. You want to be the first in the kingdom of God. You take the last place. You want to show yourself as great in the kingdom of God. You serve everybody else. We need to serve with urgency, the people in our lives. This isn't just something we can read and say, well, it's great. It was in the Bible times, but, you know, I'm just, I need to get mine and be successful and do what I need. No, we serve each other. We serve each other in love. You want to live a life of greatness. Don't live your life trying to make everybody else think that you're great. Live your life serving others. Give your life away. I want you to know you were made on purpose and for a purpose. And I know in our culture, it's so easy to get so busy in life. It's so easy to get our eyes off of everybody else because we've got to sink or swim. We've got to make our own way. We've got to be successful. It is, I promise you, this is not me coming down the mountain with it. This is something I struggle with in my own life. We, we get so confused by what it is we're supposed to be doing. We take our eyes off of serving others. We can't remember the last time we served somebody else instead of our own interests. We're called. We're called. Our purpose in life is to serve others. If we want to be great in the kingdom, it's to serve others. To have the impact God has called us to have. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says we are God's workmanship. I love that word in the Greek. It means craftsmanship. It means masterpiece. It means God took time. God knows your purpose. God gave you gifts and abilities. God gave you a chance to change the world, to change people's lives, to live out our calling. That we're his workmanship created, watch this, in Christ Jesus, to do. Not to watch, not to experience, not to just kind of sit on the sidelines and give a golf clap because everything's going all right. No, to do. Good works to do, which God prepared in advance for us to do. First Peter tells us each one of us used the gift that they've received. Each one of us used the gift, not watch somebody else, not cheer on somebody else. Each one of us received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We're going to walk with integrity, humility, generous at every opportunity, and we're going to serve with urgency. What a picture of what the church should look like. Ephesians, back to Ephesians as we close today. It says, when each one of us does our own job, the whole body fitting together, as we do our own special work, it helps the other parts to grow. You know, there's a reason that you're supposed to live out your purpose. It's not just so you can do your thing and check your box on this earth. It's because when you do, it causes all of us to grow. 
Because there's a purpose we have together. There's a beautiful image of what the church family, what we at Victory should look like, what the church around the world as a whole should look like. Each one using their gift that God has given them. Each one part of the body making up the whole. Each one allowing each other to grow together. That we would bless each other, that we would begin to grow. Each part does its own work, helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's a picture of what God has called us to be. That we would live lives beyond ourselves. And then one day when we stand before our creator, that he would look at us and say, well done with the time that I gave you. Well done with the talents that I gave you. Well done with the place that I placed you. Because I hear people say all the time, you know, it's dark times we're living in. It's just dark times. Just, just the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Just dark times. Well, this is where God placed us. This is where God calls us to live. The Bible says that he knew each man appointed out the times that they would live. And so we can sit around and we can talk about and suck our thumbs and talk about how bad the world is getting and how dark it is outside these church walls. We can do that if you want to. But for some reason, God placed us here. For some reason, God chose us at this moment. And I've told you this before. There have been more people saved since the year 2000 to present than in the 2000 years before that. You want to believe we are living at a time of the harvest, that we are living at a time where the gospel can spread faster than it ever has. Because too often times the devil would love to convince you that we, there is not, no hope left. We just got to hold on until Jesus comes. No, the time of the harvest is right now. The time of the gospel is right now. More Christians have been converted. More people have been saved in the last 22 years than all 2000 before that. It is a time of the harvest that God has appointed a time for us to live. Because listen to me, everybody. Paul is dead. Moses is dead. David's not here. Samuel is gone. For some reason, he chose us. For some reason, he pointed us here. He placed us at this time to make a difference in the world around us. It's our chance to make a difference. Our chance to live out our purpose. We've got to serve with urgency. We're going to live lives of integrity. We're going to serve and live with humility. We're going to sow every opportunity we have, but we are going to serve because heaven and hell hang in the balance and we have to live our lives with an urgency. We've got to make a difference in the world around us that we would live lives that live past us. Every head bowed, every eye closed today as we pray. I just want to pray God would help us in these areas, that God would give us the strength to begin to live lives that reflect the life Jesus has called us to live. And we would begin to serve with urgency. We would begin to sow generously. Before I do, though, I want to give an opportunity this morning. And you may be here in the room or you may be watching online, wherever you are, but you have found yourself far from God. And there's a million ways you might have gotten there. There may be different things that may have happened. You may have been hurt in one area, and so you pushed God away. Or you may have been told by somebody that there's no way God would want somebody like you. And so you're hearing all this stuff about purpose and destiny and legacy, and you're thinking, well, that's great for everybody else, but there's no way God wants me. There's no way he has purpose for me. He's got purpose for my kids, and he's got purpose for that Christian over there, but he doesn't have purpose for me. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear me clearly. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine, and he still wants you. I don't care what anybody else ever told you. God wants you. God loves you. And it is never too late to be who you could have been. God still wants you. He still has purpose for your life. And so this morning, before we get to anything else right now, I just want to give an opportunity. If you say that's me, I'm far from God, but I would love 
to return to him. I would love to give my life to him. I would love to hear the purpose he has for my life and live a life that leaves a legacy. I would love that. If that's you today, I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I'm not going to take you to a separate room. I'm not looking to embarrass you. What I want to do right now, I want to give you an opportunity to meet Jesus. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to follow religion. I'm not asking you for any of that. I just want to give you an opportunity. And there are times to go public with your faith. We're going to have baptisms next Sunday. But right now, this is between you and the Lord. Right now, this is between you and him. And so in your heart, if that say that's me, I, I want to make that decision. I've gone as far as I can on my own. I've had my heart broken as many times on my own. I've realized that I cannot do it on my own. And I want to turn my life over to him. Listen to me, the Bible says that Jesus came to this earth lived a perfect life, died on a cross. But he didn't stay dead. And I think sometimes we kind of leave the story at the cross, but listen to me, he rose again. Bible says so that anybody, it doesn't say that he rose again so that we could be condemned. It doesn't say that he rose again so that he could somehow pound the hammer down and make you feel bad about your life. The Bible doesn't say that he rose again. It says he rose again so that anybody could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. It says he rose again so that anybody, including you, could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. And so right now, that's you. The church is going to pray this with you. If you want to make that decision, all of us will pray this together out loud. Nobody prays alone. But if you want to make that decision, say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for the difference that we can make for the kingdom of God. I thank you, Lord, that we would never have pride attached to it, Lord. We would live with humility. God, I thank you, Lord, that we would always be who we say we are, that we would be integrity, God, in every avenue of life. Lord, I ask you, show us the opportunities to be generous. Show us a chance, Lord, to live out this calling you've given us. That we wouldn't think about how much can we accumulate. We wouldn't think about how many zeros can I get at the end of my checkbook, God. We would think about how can I be a blessing to those around me. And Lord, we ask, first and foremost, God, that you would give us a sense of urgency. Knowing the time is short. Knowing we only have a few years, God, to make a difference in this world. And so we would live our lives reaching others for Christ. We would live our lives telling others about the joy that we have found. Knowing that we have been redeemed. That in our darkest sin, in our selfishness, God, that you rescued us. That it wasn't anything we did, but it was the sacrifice of Jesus. Let us give that grace to others. Lord, let us never look with haughty eyes or prideful intentions, God. Never with selfishness. Always knowing the time is short. And that we can make a difference in the lives around us. Just pray the Holy Spirit, give us the strength this week to live this out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said, amen. And amen. Come on, guys, let's give God praise for what he's done today.